This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. They sold their souls to make planetary duality. They drank the blood of the innocent for in becoming a ghost. Metal Legends The Faceless might be coming to Uncle Skeet's Pizza Shack Emporium on August 21st-ish. With a monster lineup that includes that person on drums, the one dude on bass, and on guitar and vocals, the one and only... are at 8 o'clock. Show has to start before Tuesday. Don't miss your chance to maybe see The Faceless. Tickets available at getyourshittogether.com It's the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Speich, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. Uh, I don't think the faceless are going to pay us on that ad. They should. <laughs> they should. Think, I don't think we get all, got all the, the points that they asked I for initially. I think they on, on, will, but it'll be 10 months late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> They'll get it in 2022. What, what's going on, everybody? Uh, welcome to the Metal Sucks Podcast. I'm your host, uh, Petra Spach. I am always joined by... My name is Brandon Guchan, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at... Your buddy Gooch. Uh, okay. And <laughs> Joslyn Sharp. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm not at all scary uh, mm. at Joslyn Sharp. It was more intense than scary, well, Joslyn. Let's be. Mm. There was no intensity there whatsoever. No. My name. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys can follow me at Rise to Offend, uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Rise to Offend official on Instagram. This week, guys, we got to talk to Jake Bowen from obviously from Periphery, but we're talking about his uh, new electronic ambient project that he did with Misha from Periphery. Uh, It is called Four Seconds Ago. That record, The Vacancy, is coming out September 28th. Guys, we're going to give you a song at the end of the the interview. So uh, make sure you guys do check that out and hang in there for the interview. But as always, we'd love to talk about some of the main stories on MetalSucks.net. So we're going to talk about the news. One of the stories that I think uh, all of us just made us really happy. It's a joyous story. A 96-year-old Holocaust survivor finds catharsis in death metal. And there's a documentary made on um, Inga Ginsberg. She's a 96-year-old Holocaust survivor who now writes, records, and performs death metal, even though she didn't even know what death metal was until she was an octogenarian. Um, So it's just a really, really great documentary, a little story. It's like 12 minutes long if you guys haven't checked it out. But the fact that there's a grandmother out there singing death metal. What do you guys think about that? I think that that's not that's going to be happening for like the next thirty years. I feel I like think we're all going to be grandparents singing death metal someday. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't it be awesome like when you are ninety something years old and you can do something that young people relate to that most people your age are like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. You know what I mean? Right. I think that's awesome. I yeah. think that shows. Like, yeah, you're just, finding youth. Yeah, in a lot of ways, and she's ninety six. Mm-hmm. She's gonna make it to a hundred. Yeah, that's 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 like a, a thing to me. If you make it to a hundred, I mean, just embracing life like that. Like she's still like she's not. There's so many people that you get older and you just kind of like stop. Like you just like sit in a chair, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and she's like, no, fuck that. I'm gonna sing in a metal band. So next story, guys. King Eight Ten, a band that we I think collectively don't really care about. <laughs> it just lost two of its members now. But the reason we want to talk about it is because David Gunn's statement on the members that left, and here it is. 
We're not sorry anyone's gone. No one is missed. The fat has been trimmed. We're coming back stronger than ever without weakness. Now, that's the first statement. There's more. But when, when you're in a band and you put all your time and effort and, and you, know, you get somewhere and then you decide to leave the band, the remaining members say that. What does that tell you about them? Oh, it says that they're assholes. I'm sorry. Like, you, if you have a band and all of a sudden, you know, you're... Okay, how many records did they release be, before? Two. two. So, so just two. So they've already released two albums. But these other two guys put in their effort Sounds for two like- albums. So they've been together for a while. They've, they've toured. They've, they've, they've suffered along, like right alongside with you. Then all of a sudden, just to treat them like well, they're dog sounds shit. Like, it sounds like one of my girlfriends when I do dumps them on Facebook. Like... Better off without you. Hashtag living my best life. Yeah, exa- like, yeah exactly. <laughs> so passive aggressive for no reason. <laughs> Hashtag boners in my inbox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, and yeah, when your guitarist and drummer leave, I mean, that's a that's a, a serious part of the band. So he continues on. We keep the guitarist behind the stage. We're a bit of an industrial band who uses a lot of programming and sampling. If you're disappointed, I think it's because you have the wrong preconceived assumptions. And then Gun continued. We will probably have touring members in the future to fill the spots for the live show for sure. The past few times, we couldn't lock one in on time. But to be honest, it isn't black and white like you've illustrated. Firstly, when we go into the studio, we want to make the best song we can. To be honest, we have sounds, instruments, noises that aren't even playable by people live. So you automatically sacrifice that stuff to leaving it out or having a live program in which we use. So in a way, he's first he's saying... We have sounds and noises, guys. <laughs> sounds and noises aren't going to hear when you see us do our live thing. So, so and like the singer and the basses remain. So first he says, you guys are the fat, goodbye. Then he says, he never needed them in the first place. They never mattered. Essence, right? Oh, you mean the rhythm and the beat? Yeah. All that's, that's the fat... That's the part you need to trim. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I'm having a hard time following you there. So uh, chances are the next record will be like an industrial kind of thing with like drum tracks and all that stuff. But the point is, is that like if 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 you show that kind of a lack of uh, professionalism towards your your band, who else is going to want to join your band down the road? That's another thing too. I mean, I know he's basically I know he's basically saying I just want to keep it as a two piece and then we'll just get touring members, but. At that point, though, I mean, we've already seen how you treat your coworkers. Right, and he's doing something that's my pet peeve where he's like, I know we could do it better, but we'll just hit play on something. That's exactly we'll what he just, just put said. put a tape in. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. Yeah. He, he basically just said our live shows are nothing, nowhere near as good as the album. You don't know buy a mean? ticket. Like, yeah. Never come. You know what? Look, just buy, you know, go ahead. Just listen to the album on YouTube. We'll get by. We'll find yeah. a way. Yeah. Dude, no. That's where you make your money is he's on the road. really pitching me on the live show with the noises and sounds. <laughs> Can't exactly. wait to hear some noises and yeah. sounds. Mm, I got this thing. Well, what would you call that? Uh, I'm just going to leave a review on their iTunes album. This was great noises and sounds. Five yeah. stars. Thank you. Thank you. Thank oh, you give them five stars. I'll give them five stars. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I love the drummer and guitarist. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm I love the, the fat. Get rid of that basses. I love the drummer and the guitarist and the didgeridoo. I love that one noise that you made that sounded all... I mean, this that is was awesome. This is just this like I don't know. There's like this sickness I feel like uh, where people it's just like permeated maybe because of social media. I don't know where people feel like they're just like entitled to like feeling like well if I, if you don't want to do it with me, I can do it by myself. Yeah. Instead of doing what we've been doing for centuries, which is learning how to work with people we don't like. Right. You no, know. you shouldn't yeah, be playing a, a team sport. <laughs> yeah. You should not be playing a team sport. <laughs> yeah, if you, you can't have a. Yeah. If you're in a band and you can't compromise with any of the right. other band members, just grab an acoustic. It could be a street performer 
performer, dude. What? That's it. And my favorite part Learn is some how... Neil Young and open the guitar case and make some change. I love how defensive he is when nobody is like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> He's just, just so you guys know, we broke up, but it's fine. Don't care. Yeah. And everyone's like, we didn't either. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the tough guy character. And I always, I always say character because I always wonder if, if it's a character or if it's really them. The tough guy character, like it, it that's really them. And that in a statement no, that's, like that, that's really, that's really that. I agree. The tough guy character, though, it never comes off well. But there's a there's an audience that really likes that. Like, yeah. Well, because that's the what? tough guy character. The yeah. people that enjoy the tough guy character are the same ones that are crying when yeah. somebody loses a WWE match. Yeah, they're wearing you know tap I mean? out shirts and crushing <laughs> beer cans on their forehead. Yeah, they're like, it's real to me. They're still wearing a bike chain bracelet. Like, that's cool. <laughs> These fucking like, people, chain, like chain yeah, these fucking like tough guy things, like and like we're all evolved human beings who have books now. Like we all know when you're a tough guy, you're just putting up a front for the world because either something bad happened to you when you were a kid, or you have small genitals. I don't know which it is. Oh man! But you're doing one of the two. Well, let me tell you something, guys. Uh, I could beat all of you in push-ups, <laughs> and I could run faster than all of you. <laughs> My dick could beat up your My dick. My dick could beat up your dick any day of the week. I'll meet it in an alley. I'll meet your dick at the flagpole. You bring it. Bring your dick. I'll bring my dick. Oh, man. Next story, guys, I want to talk about is that uh, uh, Jerry Cantrell, he debated uh, the word debut. De- debut is always trouble. You debuted, cannot debuted, do debuted. it. Debuted. Did he debut it, Pete? <laughs> Jerry Candy debuted, debuted it. Okay, tell us more about this debut. <laughs> it's a nuclear debut. <laughs> ah, yes. Debut. <laughs> debuted a new song, guys. A track for DC Comics' Dark Knight's Metal. I'm loving, like, Deftones did this as well, Mastodon, and I believe uh, In This Moment. Uh, did it like last week, but I love the fact that DC Comics is teaming up with these metal bands and rock bands because it seems like. What do you guys think about that? Like the comics need that rock soundtrack. Yes, yeah. I, I've always thought. I've always thought that metal. It, just being a, somebody who's a big fan of comic books um, from like the age I was like nerd. thirteen. Yeah, straight nerd. Right? <laughs> just kidding. Believe I am too. Me. I am right. too. I get it. Right. I could read faster than you. Anyway, though, so <laughs> you can barely read. First of all, I don't read comics. I trim the fat, dude. <laughs> let me de- let me debut my intelligence. Club. I hate you. So anyway, though, uh, but no, like with comics, for some reason, comics and metal, there are the the fans of those those certain genres, the fans of those of, the, of those art art. What, what's the word I'm looking? The, the fans of that art. Uh, they're, they're, they definitely coincide with one another. There is something to be said. I mean, anytime you go to a comic book store, you will see like a, an obituary shirt yeah, or something like that. Yeah. Like you're going to see, you're going to see things like, you know, the Venn diagram overlaps pretty widely yes. and DC is a great one because DC has all these great dark adult storylines. You know, there's a lot less the DC, like really, you know, things like the killing joke and like all these graphic novels that came out, there were spinoffs of Batman and all mm-hmm. these other characters were really dark and, yes. and they were really like, and metal is like the perfect soundtrack for like real dark life shit, you know, rainy alleys and the Joker's makeups running. Right. And yeah. It's right. perfect. Okay. So what's the soundtrack for the Marvel universe? Uh, Nerds. Okay. Look, here's the thing. Baby metal. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Give me baby metal. <laughs> I'll tell you what it should be. It should be a two-piece industrial band. For <laughs> I think that they do a good job with the Marvel soundtracks currently. It's just orchest- orchestral things. Like yes. Just a big 100-piece tw- tw- orchestra. Well, what he was talking about, though, is for, this isn't even for a movie. No, though. it's just for, it's yeah. Just, it's, it's just, just a to be like, hey, yeah. what's up? We're, we're DC. You know, it's a tie-in. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's good. a tie-in. So, and that's the thing, like, with Marvel, like, I can't, Marvel. It would have to be more mainstream rock. As hard as, uh, Marvel has gone hardcore on a couple of things. I mean, 
but it was DC that really yeah. took the violence <laughs> to another level. Yeah. Re- you're like, whoa, okay. What has Marvel gone hardcore on? Sometimes people get divorced. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Someone's gay. Oh, geez. Yeah. Thanks for opening my eyes to that. Oh, you know? her brother died. Yeah, it's yeah. real edgy. Ooh, no. Yeah, Iceman loves dudes. Groundbreaker. <laughs> and that really did happen, by the way. Iceman came out. But it yeah. was, but I mean, it's so it just seems like with Marvel, uh, they they're more socially conscious. Yeah. And DC is more like, look, we want to we right. want to make this as gritty as we possibly. It's just the writers. Marvel just the writing gives on you the happy cover. endings. DC does not. Yes. DC's like, yeah, Batman beat the bad guy, but thirteen of his friends died. Yeah, exactly. Like, Ooh, boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Another fourteen year old Robin got a crowbar to the face. Yeah. Like, oh man, how do we spin this? Yeah. <laughs> it's more film noir. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like they took. It, it's like DC took a page out of the Sin City novels that were written by Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like they went real gritty after that particular. First off. DC was the one that gave us the Watchmen, yeah, and that is. And before that came out, I mean, there was nothing like that. I mean, that was that was a very eye-opening graphic novel. And then uh, Sin City came, and it was just. And then I think just DC just latched on. Well, and that. Batman had a really dark origin story to start. Like the basis for DC. His parents got shot. Who cares? Grow up, dude. Oh my God! First of all, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> but compare that to Marvel stories where it's like Iron Man. He's rich. <laughs> and he's got a heart yeah. condition. <laughs> <Ooh>. like, it's not. <laughs> this guy's got it. It's just grittier. I feel like I feel like metal goes a lot better with it. I feel like it's yeah. more. I want to hear in the comment section on this one. What is more metal, <laughs> DC or Marvel? Yeah, yeah. Now, according to my calculations, we're moving on. You guys, <laughs> they know I'm right. They know I'm right. Yeah, we we weren't arguing. What do you mean they know you're right? We're we're not even arguing. We're making the same point, you idiot. <laughs> this July, progressive metal band Redemption will release their seventh full length. Long Night's Journey into Day via Metal Blade Records. With guest musicians Chris Polland and Simone Meloroni, this is the first album since the departure of vocalist Ray Adler and features the debut of Evergrey vocalist Tom England. Pre-order Long Night's Journey into Day now at MetalBlade.com slash redemption. Once again, guys, Long Night's Journey into Day. Go right now, MetalBlade.com slash redemption. And with that, guys, we're going to jump into my interview with Jake Bowen from four seconds ago. Hey, everybody. Hey, what's going on? It's better. Metal Sucks Podcast. On the phone, I got Jake Bowen. We're here to talk about four seconds ago's debut record, The Vacancy, uh, which is coming out September 28th. Now, four seconds ago, it's, a, it's an ambient electronic project, and it has its origins around 2010. At the start of the project, what was your, your guys' original vision? Well, you know, there really was no vision. It was just kind of like me... Me and Misha enjoyed electronic music and we were just kind of messing around with programs like Reason and uh, whatever came with Cubase at the time. And uh, it was just kind of this way to experiment outside of metal because uh, when I when I first joined the band, we were just writing metal songs. When I first joined Periphery, rather, we were just writing metal songs together and uh, we discovered that, hey, we can do this too. You know, it's not going to be any good, but, you know, we could we can experiment. Eventually, we worked our way up to finally having enough time to do an album together. Nice. Now, when you were saying like the experimentation process, um, how long have you been playing guitar? Ooh, uh, let's see. How old am I now? Gee whiz, probably uh, twenty-four years. Twenty-four. Wow. Um, okay. So, and then the electronic yeah. stuff. When when you started actually doing this, how how long did you start tingling with that? Was it like twenty ten? Uh, I think I was messing with it as far back as uh, 
2006. I think that's when I first got my, my first copy of, uh, of reason. And it had all these like presets and stuff. And I was just making these little clips out of, uh, presets, you know, not really knowing that like, you know, in order to give this stuff some sort of personality, you, you really have to tinker with the sounds more and, and not just the, the, the presets are a good starting point, but you know, you have to, you have to give it a little bit of personality. So that was how I started. And then eventually I realized, you know, I'm gonna have to put some more of, uh, of uh, my own, my own style into this. And I had to figure out what that was. And now for me, when, when I heard vacancy, the, the record, it, it did have a sense of like peace and like hopefulness to the, to the musical soundscape. Was that like an intentional thing or was that just kind of a personality thing? Like you were mentioning? Probably, you know, probably more of like a personality thing. Misha and I tend to gravitate towards specific sounds and seldom do we do things deliberately. We go after certain sounds. I'd say, um, you know, in periphery, we do that where we're like me and him are like, you know, let's, let's write a heavy, nasty, dirty song. And then it, you know, it doesn't really go into like the, the, the pretty territory. But when it comes to the electronic stuff, we're, you know, we're still trying to figure out what it is we do, what it is we sound like. And I guess with this first record, it was more like we were going through for the, the more like pretty, uh, airy sounding Things. Writing wise, when you guys are doing something like Four Seconds Ago, opposed to something like Periphery, what kind of like, if I may, like what kind of arguments do you guys get in Periphery about, opposed to like what you and Misha wrote on Four Seconds Ago? That's a really good question. Um, with uh, with Periphery, it's uh, we both know what we're doing uh, quite a bit more, just because we've put out several Periphery albums. Me and him have been working together since like '05 or '06 or something like that. And we really know we're really stubborn in what we want to play and project in, in like a metal environment. Um, so a lot of, a lot of, I mean, we don't really get into arguments more as like, we're like insisting something should be a certain way. And then, you know, we laugh about it and it's not like a, it's not like a thing, but generally it has to do with note choice and, uh, and rhythm. So, you know, I'll suggest that something should have these notes in this scale and then he'll be like, oh, well, this note and this note are out of the scale. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It sounds fine. And it's kind of like a back and forth of like, you know, trying to find the compromise. Whereas with the four seconds ago stuff, neither of us really have much experience in that world. Maybe me a little bit more because I put out a, a, a record on my own a few years ago, um, which is all electronic music. But it's still, you know, it's more, it's so much more experimental. So it's just kind of like, everything sounds cool to us and we're not trying to go after one, one type of sound or, or one thing that we're looking for. So it's just, it's, it's just the nature of us being like babies at a, at this style of music. And, you know, eventually we're going to grow into a, to adolescence, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And you did bring up isometric uh, 2015, I believe it came out. That was your solo record, which was electronic bass. Now with that was, yeah that one was much more um that was just you did you get input from other members in the band or was that made very isolated for you uh it was mostly isolated i think when i had the framework for most of the songs i would play them for the guys reluctantly and i'd ask for their their input on like certain drum beats or um there's there's one song where misha plays a guitar part mm. and he's uncredited just because i never did a physical release uh besides a vinyl and, you know, there was no way for me to, to tell everyone, like, hey, he played this guitar part, but he did. 
And there were just little things, little uh, suggestions that I incorporated from Matt, our drummer, and 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 Misha mostly. And uh, that's that's pretty much the only input that was on there. But most of it is pretty much me being depressed in my room, you know, writing writing music, writing <laughs> beautiful music. It's good stuff, man. So, but that's something I always wonder about from the creative people and creative side how do you know when to present something to a friend of yours or someone and be like hey listen to this and give me input when do you like know to be like hey they'll actually listen to this opposed to like put it on the side uh you know that's uh that's a difficult question to answer just because i've kind of shown people you know just skeletons of ideas or just even like a loop or even like fully arranged songs. So, you know, I never, I'm never really sure when the the right moment is, you know, I've been lucky enough when I've been writing this stuff to, to kind of know when it's, when it's ready for prime time, whether that's like, I I have a solid arrangement, I have a solid mix and I'm pretty happy with how the song is. And then generally there's a corresponding feedback to that, which is like, yeah, it sounds like, you know, you know what you're doing, but if I bring like half a song to somebody or like, if I'm showing, you know, my friend Elliot or or Misha or something like that, they're just, you know, they, they always have really insightful input or they tell me that I'm like on the right track and they, you know, they don't really have anything to offer other than this is a cool idea. Keep working on it. You know? Now, opinion wise though, when you do share, do you take that to heart? Or what's the worst reaction, like indifference or um, what What reaction actually affects the project, I guess, when you're sharing it with others? Um, no reaction, actually. Like, That's yeah. you, you send an email out with a track attached to it and nobody responds to it, uh, which everybody, everybody in periphery has experienced that. And there's actually, uh, there's a thought, we're working on a new periphery album right now and there's mm. a song that um, that Spencer just did vocals for and uh he 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 did half the song so far and he wanted to send it to us to see if we liked it and nobody responded and he thought that everybody didn't like it and that was he was like oh god i'm gonna have to go and redo everything and kind of like you know start this from scratch but really everybody was just busy and it kind of just got lost in the shuffle of all the other emails we get yeah you could have been like world World cup is on dude come on (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so like you know, that, that kind of creates this, uh, insecurity if nobody responds, cause, uh, there have been other times, uh, where I've sent something out, um, like a fully fleshed out idea and nobody responds or, you know, somebody responds and I was like, eh, I'm not really feeling this. And it doesn't really, uh, it, it has less of an impact than it used to because we've all gotten really comfortable sharing our criticisms with one another. So it, now it's, it's not such a big deal if like somebody has like something negative to say about it, because it's like we've learned to communicate in a way where we know everybody's opinion is coming from a a good place an experienced place. And we all respect each other. So the criticism is, is respected. So it doesn't just come off as like, Oh, this sucks, dude. You know, you're never going to make it. It comes off as like, this is valuable information and I should really take this and, 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 and use it use it to make whatever i'm working on better or at least try attempt to make it better and the other thing i'll say is uh we have this um it's not really a motto but it's kind of uh, like a an attitude where you know you don't you don't you don't identify problems you identify solutions and that way 
you know, if somebody does something, puts a lot of work into something, you can't just come and say like, oh, this sucks. Like, you know, do something, do it differently or whatever. It's, you know, I'm not really into this. Here's what I think you should do. And if you don't have that input, then, then, you know, you, you keep your mouth shut sort of, that's like, that's, that's kind of how we operate, which is, it's, it's helpful because, you know, if somebody feels like they're working on something and they're doing a really good job and then they, somebody just comes along and they shuts it down, you, a lot of times you don't know where to go from that. So having that, that kind of uh, constructive criticism helps, uh, helps form or forge a new direction. I, I agree. And it's very lucky you, you guys have that, that understanding. That's probably why the music comes out so, um, so just so well done, you know, and it's like, so, cause there's so many people out there that they walk into a room and everything's been changed. And there's a lot of people that have put a lot of work into something, but they don't see what was done. They see what's not done. And that attitude is very, it's, it's, it's life kind of like, it just kind of hurts you, you know? And yeah. It's counterproductive. I totally exactly. agree. Yeah. So, and then, and with the project, let's talk about a little more about four seconds ago. Um, now, What's the different key element? Like you said, we're talking more of a, a metal side when you write the periphery songs. And um, you've been playing guitar for 24 years, so that's probably what, just much more comfortable with you on a lot of the levels. But what is the key element when you're writing your electronic music? Is it going to be a feel? Or is it going to be a uh, emotion? Or, or is it going to be a sound? Uh, you know, I guess it could go in any one of those directions. You know, I guess you just have to be able to identify it. I'd say the things that I like the most whenever I get an idea going or if I'm working on something with Misha is just finding a texture that it can be built off of. Uh, cause, cause usually when you, you can identify textures within music, it really dictates the vibe of the song just right off the bat. So if I start off with like a really like airy synth that really doesn't have any sort of defined beginning and end, it kind of just like fades in and fades out. I can use that as kind of a foundation and then build things over it, whether it's like a very simple groove. And then I can add like very, uh, very precise accents over that. And then that forms the melody, but it's informed by the fact that there's this kind of amorphous, uh, texture going on underneath it. And, um, that, that's generally my favorite way to work because then I can just kind of get lost in it and then, you know, work on it for a couple hours, step back and then listen to it and be like, okay, that, you know, I didn't expect it to go there. And, and that's, that's inspiring because you're kind of like, it's almost like searching for like a buried treasure or something. You know, you're, you're not, you're not expecting what you find, but hopefully you find something. Nice, dude. Yeah, that sounds that sounds awesome. So another huge project I do want to talk about, obviously, is is you guys uh, starting your new label. It's called Three Dots, which four seconds ago will be your first release on the label. So when and why did you guys decide to start your own label? We've been talking about it for uh, a pretty long time. It's uh, it was always like at first it was always like let's just start our own label, and everyone was like yeah. And, uh, you know, just kind of like joking around about it. But then, um, you know, as we got a little bit older and, and a bit more experienced in the industry, we decided that it was uh, something that, you know, with every passing year became more realistic. And um, we were, uh, I guess, like it really started coming to fruition when uh, we were getting towards the end of our uh, deal with Sumerian. And that's not to say that we... Uh, we didn't enjoy our time on Sumerian. It was, you know, a really good relationship and, and we did a lot of good work together, but 
it was just, uh, it was just like, this seemed like the right time to pursue something like that. Just because we've had put out so many albums, we've done so many tours, we've met so many people and, and it was just kind of like, well, maybe this is the next step for us. Let's, let's try this and see how it goes. You know, it could fail spectacularly, but at least we tried and it's, uh, you know, it's been, it's been pretty fun so far. And I have to give a lot of credit to, uh, Wayne Pagini, our, our manager. Um, he's been such a, a, a huge component of getting the label, uh, or at least helping us figure out what steps we need to take to get the label to surface. And, uh, you know, and he's been there at every step of the way and, and just kind of, facilitating our ideas so you know i got to give him huge props for uh for helping us uh realize it because it's a it's it's a bit of a, a dream for for all of us in the band to do something like this because it gives us so much freedom with periphery namely but it also gives us uh it, it gives a little bit of legitimacy to all of our side projects and we all have a bunch of them um, just because we're always writing music and we, you know, we need homes for all this stuff. And this kind of gives us the ability to do that. And then it, to top it all off, if we see a really sick band or, or, or act or whatever, you know, we could sign them and, and support them and actually like be a part of somebody's growth as a musician, which we have a bit of experience growing ourselves. So, you know, we feel like we have a lot to offer in that sense. And we can also support the music that we love. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of reasons why we got into it, but, uh, that's just a couple. Yeah. It's all positive stuff. It's really cool, man. So is it broken down? Like you said, I was going to ask if someone maybe worked on a label before or kind of like to, to teach you the steps, but you just mentioned Wayne, right? Wayne's helping you guys out with step-by-step on how to kind of do it. Do you guys have your roles, each member, like you would in the band? Like, hey, this guy's looking for talent, and this guy's doing this. Like, do you guys do that, or is it kind of a universal thing where you guys just kind of do it together? Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, uh, like we're working on this together. Nobody's nobody's in charge of one specific thing, or just because we're all so new at this, we don't know what each other's strengths and weaknesses are with running a label. Whereas in like periphery or whatever our side projects are you know, we kind of know who's good at what and and what their strengths are. But with this, it's, you know, everybody is going to bring in talent and everybody's going to be on the weekly conference calls and where we talk about what we want to do and, you know, who we're talking to and suggesting new bands and stuff. So it's, it's definitely a shared responsibility. And, uh, so far, you know, everybody's super into it and it's just, it's, it's pretty exciting to, to talk about it with, uh, with the guys every week. Awesome, man. So, and, and three dot recordings, like I, I feel will, like most of us will be a very successful venture for you guys. If that, you know, when that comes to fruition, will that make touring kind of a less priority for you in periphery because you have something to, you know, stay home to and do all that stuff? Do you feel, is that kind of mm, part of the plan or no? I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's too early to say, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I'm going to get way ahead of myself here and mm. just say like, if if the label somehow blows up and, and it's just a, an incredible way to make money, then maybe, but I just don't see it going that way. You know, I just see it as a passion project that we're all working on because we enjoy doing it and it makes us happy to do it. And uh, the touring will remain the same with Periphery. And I'd say the thing that dictates the touring with Periphery the most is the music, like writing new music. So 
once we've toured on a record like a year or two years we're kind of getting like burnt out on playing those songs and when we write new songs then that kind of gets us amped up to be like yo wouldn't this kill live if we played this live or like you know i bet this is going to kill the light i can just picture the light show and we start talking like that and then that kind of gets us motivated to get back out on the road and that's kind of leads into the next question so having your own label in essence you know, periphery you guys can release more music if you want you know um faster all that stuff um or do you do you plan on still touring and following the traditional format of like you know most bands two to three years and then touring that album for two to three years or is that still kind of a conversation you guys are having uh, I think it'll stay the same in that sense where like, you know, we, we put out a record and then we tour on it and then, you know, it's slow, it gradually tapers off until we're ready to write another record. Kind of like where we're at right now. Like we haven't toured in a little while and we're writing a new record. And then once that comes out, we're going to, you know, start the cycle all over again. But I think we've, uh, you know, we've definitely tried to come up with ideas because we are free to release stuff whenever we want. So like one of the things that um, they do in the EDM world is release singles. And um, I mean, they do that in every world, but this is kind of like this, it, it just seems very prominent now where like you go on Spotify and there's like a hot track and it's, you know, just one track from one artist. And, you know, that, that's, I think that model is kind of cool because, you know, in between albums and in between tours or even dur during tours, you can just release, put a, throw a track up on a, on the streaming sites and, and people can get into it. And it, you know, it, it's a, it's a way for us to kind of not sit on demos that we have going because we have a lot of killer songs that nobody's ever heard. They just didn't find a home on, on whatever record they happened to be close to, uh, when we wrote them. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that people haven't heard. And I think it's like, they'd lose their minds if they, uh, if they heard some of these demos. So this might be a cool way now with three dot to, to release that stuff uh, periodically and keep people, you know, engaged with the band. And, and also it has the potential of, you know, you might be able to hear the stuff live too, that, that we'd never play. So it would, uh, it's just stuff like that that we're, we're thinking about. It's exciting, man, for sure. And but physical copies, are you guys still very pro that as a, as a label or when you release the singles, do you feel, like we're talking about your solo record, you never really you released a vinyl copy, but now like a physical copy on CD. Is that something that you guys talk about a lot with this label? Yeah, I, there will be a physical component. You know, I, I don't know to what extent because it's going to change as we move forward. With you know, the industry has been this volatile place for the last however many years, and you know, people are selling less and less physical, and streams are going up, and and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I think there, people will still be able to get their hands on whatever medium is, you know, selling, which is what it, like CDs and vinyl. Um, but, you know, it'll be more of like a, you know, you order it online and, uh, and maybe find it in stores. But, you know, like I said, the, the music industry is volatile. People aren't really selling records as, as much anymore. And it may get worse before it gets better. Who knows? But, um, yeah, I don't think we're going to be phasing out the physical uh, anytime soon until, you know, it really craps the bed. Yeah, that's, I'm so happy about that answer, by the way. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm yeah. still a huge fan of that physical coffee. So, and then, uh, me too, man. I, I, you know, I, some of my, my fondest memories of, of consuming music have just been 
from going to the store and, and grabbing a CD and just listening to it front to back. And, you know, I still, I still enjoy that. And I've recently gotten into vinyl too, which is like, it's so silly to me, but you know, I bought a fat vinyl player and I have a bunch of great vinyl records that, you know, are really hard to find. And I just, I don't know, it's just like a collector thing now and it feels real good. Yeah, dude. And that's what it is. It really is. And, uh, but yeah, like you said, it feels good. That's great. That's exactly how I feel when I look at my collection. I'm like, I just, it's just a smile when I look at all this stuff and all the memories that are tied to these things. But, you know, even when I get the promos early, uh, if, if that record blows my mind, I still want to go to the store, pick it up, look at the art. I'm still of that mindset. Even if I have it on digital, I'll still get the physical, you know? And I think a lot of people have yeah. that because, like you said, it, it, it emotes, it gives you a good feeling of, of supporting something that makes you happy. It's just, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's, it's in a way, I don't know if you want to say it's like a compassion, you know, thing for the artists that are putting in all this hard work or not. I don't really know. It's, it's just a different yeah, feeling. No, I, yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I can, I can say the last two albums that I pre-ordered and, um, and, uh, just kind of was really stoked about with, uh, the latest good tiger album. Mm-hmm. And, um, I got the I got the vinyl, I got the C D which is in my car. Like it's the only C D I have in my car right now. And uh and I got a couple of T shirts and stuff like that. And and then the other record is uh the new Kimbra record. I got I got the vinyl, I got the C D and uh I got a poster and like you know, I I love that stuff. Like I I, I hope it doesn't go anywhere and and you know, I hope as uh, you know, somebody who is now part of a label, I hope that we're we offer the same things, which which we will be on the four seconds ago stuff. We're we're still working on the on what bundles we're gonna work we're gonna put out, but you know, nice. lots of physical stuff on the horizon for us. That's awesome, dude. I want every record label to have that attitude. That's all I got to say. <laughs> but you're right, dude. It's, cool. it's, it's, it's yeah, it's a time. So one thing I wanted to bring up. I know this is kind of an older story, but I've always wanted to bring this up to you, Jake. Like, t- I want to say it was in 2014 when Dimebag uh, we did the ten. They did the 10 year anniversary here on Metal Sucks. I'll never forget the article you wrote, and they had to pick a riff of like a great Dimebag riff, and you picked uh, Throws of Rejection, and uh, oh yeah, and I was like. And, and dude, I'm telling you right now, I'm like, I've heard far, far beyond driven. Uh, I can't even tell you how many times it was probably a year of my life fully in my ear. And the second I read that article, now it's my favorite riff or favorite solo, but it never hit me before. When did it hit you that solo specifically? But you, like I said, you're, you're a guitar player. So maybe it would be more for you on that side, but out of all the, the solos, when, why did you pick that one? And when did that one hit you? Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a hipster when it comes to Pantera. Like, I, like Pantera was the soundtrack to everything I did. The moment I heard my first Pantera, my first Pantera song, like I, I heard Cemetery Gates on the on on the radio. I think it was uh, there was a radio station um, in New York called uh, Q1043, and, it, and now it's like a oldie state. I don't even know if it still exists, but back when I was a kid, it was a heavy metal station, and I heard Cemetery Gates on there. So like. You know, I got into Cowboys from Hell and I got into Vulgar and I, I got into to Far Beyond Driven like immediately. And um, it didn't hit me until way later that the Throws of Rejection solo was my favorite. But I was, uh, you know, because there's so many other like great solos to choose. And, and you know, like a, an obvious one would be like Mouth for War or something like that. But I just remember... This is probably like back in the early 2000s and 
I was, you know, I was probably dressed like an asshole and listening to like listening to throws of rejection at probably a volume that is un- considered unhealthy by any medical standard. And I just remember like thinking, this is the best Dimebag solo ever. I'm never like, and I would just like, I would listen to that song on repeat. And so when, when I got the chance to do that article, I knew right away what I was going to pick. And, uh, I, I did, I wanted to do it in like a way that like a really like boneheaded metal guy would describe like a guitar solo. So like I described it with like a lot of, um, almost like onomatopoeia esque dis- descriptors and stuff like that. And just kind of <laughs> making it really like really dumb in the way that I described it. But, um, I, I I'm so, I, I, I think it's so funny you brought that up cause I, I forgot that I, I wrote that. And, uh, I remember I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun writing it because like what I did was I had the solo on repeat and I was listening to every section and every, like basically any, when I was describing the solo, I was listening to each section of the solo along with it. It wasn't just like from memory. Like I actually like, it was almost like a research project. <laughs> I got to tell you that it's so funny. You said, cause I remember when I read the article, that's what I did. I'm like, all right, let me see where the wow, wow, wow. Wait a second. And there's the, and I'm like, Oh, and I actually played it with the time marks that you did. And I listened to it. And then, <laughs> and now every time I hear it, I'm like, Oh, here comes a solo. And it's like, the article just stuck with me and it was what it was like 2014 right? I was like five years ago but yeah that was it was just funny that it actually that article so it's ingrained in my mind now as one of the best solos yeah, ever. but it was man. virtually because of the way you did it and you verbalized it like verbalizing a solo <laughs> that's crazy I, I challenge anybody out there to go to metalsucks.net look up this article right now listen to throws of rejection I challenge anybody to verbalize a guitar solo better than Jake did in that article. <laughs> that's everybody that's listening. I challenge you guys. <laughs> so hats yeah. off to you. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. You're, you're welcome, man. And then that was going to lead into the next question. Like for a four seconds ago song, would it be more challenging to verbalize uh, something in that song than that solo? It's probably less exciting. I think that's kind of uh, why I love Pantera so much is they're just such an exciting band. And, and, you know, they, uh, they've just gone through hell and they just, they're kind of like, um, you know, how like Van Halen is kind of like that, that just that real feel good band, everything mm-hmm. like they do just feels like, feels awesome. And they're just like, they make you feel good. They're kind of like, they're, they're, they're the same thing, except on this like extreme insane level where they've kind of gone insane and it's every time I listen to them, it's, it just gives me a feeling that, that I've never gotten from any other band ever, you know? And, and I, that might make me sound like an old person, but like, you know, they just didn't do it. Like they, they don't do it like they used to anymore. And, uh, you know, with the four seconds ago stuff, you know, it's just, I don't know. I, I think, I think the only common thread that it has with any sort of, uh, metal or extreme music or whatever is it's kind of a lot of the arrangements are similar to metal arrangements um, where there's not a lot of repeating parts or sometimes there are, but it, the songs tend to go off into these um, what we call in, 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 in the periphery camp, uh, these adventure times where like it, they just kind of meander through different sections and it just seems to work. Now, if like one is trying to, you know, break into the EDM market, 
or like make like a really super popular song, you wouldn't want to do that because generally the, those types of arrangements are, are well grounded. Like there's almost like a scientific way of, of, uh, of writing that music. So like with the, with the four seconds ago stuff, it, it certainly is not as exciting as that or, you know, describing a, a Pantera song, but, uh, you know, it's, I just hope that there's a, that it's punchy enough for, for metal guys and, and, and people who enjoy extreme music to, to hopefully experiment with and listen to, but you know, it, it also will hold the attention of people who like electronic music. I know that was a really long winded answer that went everywhere, but, um, that's, that's the best way I can describe my thought process on that. I followed. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. So let's, uh, let's talk periphery. Your last record, you guys got nominated for the Grammy, um, which, I don't know what what is that. I always I always ask metal guys or like you know guys in the rock scene when they get nominated for a Grammy, you know it's not going to get televised, uh, the metal category and all that stuff. But does it still feel like a, an absolute sense of accomplishment, or is it like a eh moment for you? Oh, absolutely! It feels like a sense of accomplishment. You know, like it's it's funny. You get a lot of uh, comments from uh, you know kids online being like, oh, "It's not even televised," and it's you know the kid they don't give they don't care about metal people and it's just like to get any recognition from that 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 camp at all is uh you know that's good enough for me and i you know i think there's this sense in the metal community and i get it i'm definitely one of these people so you know i'm not i'm definitely not you know peeing on anyone right now but there is a sense of elitism about metal and the fact that it should be bigger than it is and and it just it's you know and it's come a long way like it has it's it's no slouch in in terms of how many people consume the style of music but it's just like there's this assumption that like people are missing out or like you know the people who run the 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 grammys are you know they're they don't really know what real metal is and, and that, you know, they're, they obviously give all their time to rap and country and pop and stuff like that. And it's just like, fine, but that's just the way things are. And, you know, to just to be able to say, Hey, the, you know, the, the people who recognize the biggest acts in the world also recognized us is most certainly an accomplishment. I'm really proud of it. And I'm, I'm glad that, I'm glad that that happened. I maybe I hope I hope we win one sometime. Like that would be totally sick, and nice. you know I wouldn't care if it was uh, televised or not. And, yeah, dude. No, yeah. I I like that. I like that. I agree with you completely. Now I want to come back to that feeling you had when you got nominated for the Grammy. But just on a on a side note, because you brought in the elitism in metal, and and we all know about it now. I wonder if it's. Do you think? And this is just a theory. I have no fact on this. But do you think because a lot of the best musicians alive? or in jazz and in metal that there's kind of elitist mentality to that when, when the Grammys represent kind of like a pop music kind of world, do you think that has some sort of uh, relevance to that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I, I think there's this, um, it's almost a false equivalency where, you know, you, you say, you say, Oh, well, these people have put so much time in and they're such awesome musicians and, you know, why are they not getting the recognition that they deserve? And it's like, those things are not, they, they don't have to go together, you know, just because somebody is incredible at something doesn't automatically mean that they deserve any sort of recognition. I don't think, you know, I just think that there is an appetite for music and there's trends in music, which follow that appetite. 
and that's you know that's just people being human and 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 you know if you look at if you look at the world right now people like a lot of things that i would think are crappy and that doesn't mean that they're not crappy it just means that my opinion doesn't fall in line with other opinions and it's you know it just comes down to arguing case and you can't really tell somebody that they don't you know you shouldn't like something or like you know, just because, like, I think, like, the, the the new hot thing right now that I just can't stand is this um, SoundCloud rap thing. I didn't know it was a term until the other day. But it's basically, like, dudes mumbling the same sentence over, like, this really, like, remedial beat. And it's huge right now. And, and, and like, kids are flipping out over it. And it's, I don't get it. I don't care about it. I don't listen to it. But, you know, I don't hate, you know. I, it's like, hey, man, if that's, like, if you can capture that vibe, if you can figure out how to learn how to to reach those people, whoever they are, then you've you've succeeded. You've done something that even you know the best musicians can't do. So, uh, you know, I try to look at it from that way, from that perspective, because you know a lot of people are like, why don't not a lot of people, but like we, me and my friends kind of joke about this. It's just like, well, you know what? Let's just let's just like stop playing metal and write pop music and it's like you i could do that but it wouldn't be genuine number one and number two i'd have to figure out how to do that i don't know how to get those sounds and i don't know how to play music in that way and i could figure it out and kind of get close and approximate it but to truly understand where it comes from how it's made is something that you know you kind of have to be your your mind has you have to have a different state of mind that that's how i can separate the fact between like uh you know, there's these really sick musicians. Like, I, I you know, I, I, I'm proud to say that, like, in metal, there's the best musicians in the world playing this style of music. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, they haven't figured out how to, to how to reach the, the largest audience, which in turn, you know, gets them the most exposure and the most success. So are they really the best in the world or are they best at their instrument? And these people are really good at, at, at reaching people. So I think they're separate things, and I think that you know kids in the metal community don't really understand that. It's like, yeah, you can be recognized as a great musician, but it doesn't. It just means you're good at your instrument, or you're good at arranging stuff, or for metal. But it doesn't mean that you're good at reaching people. And that is a great point because that's uh, my counter argument was always like, no, you might be the greatest musician in the world, but are you in a way conforming to have to write songs in this format that exists over here? that everybody loves in order to reach people. See what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's a catch 22 to kind of like be like, well, you're still having to do, you know, a four minute song with a chorus with this and that, even if you're the greatest musician in the world, because you want to reach a mass audience. Music and art is all always about compromise, Mm -hmm. even to like the, the, the smallest aspect of it. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, eventually you're going to have to compromise and, and I guess a better way to describe it is, um, I forget who said this and, uh, maybe, you know, but, uh, art is never finished. It's abandoned. Um, so you can keep working on something and, and, and you can keep working on it until, you know, you're blue in the face, but eventually you're, you're just going to have to stop and release it as it is. 
um, otherwise you're never going to move forward. That's kind of like, you know, I, I feel like that's where the compromise comes in. You're compromising when you're, when you're giving up on a song or you're like, you're, you're happy with when it's gotten to a point and you release it. So that's, that's kind of the thing that I think people have not come to grips with, especially in it, with, with people in metal bands is that, you know, if you if you want your music to reach the most people, you do have to compromise. There's no such thing as uncompromising music. Two quick questions the, uh, before I let you go, man. I want to thank you again, and I also want to tell everybody one more time. Guys, four seconds ago, debut record, The Vacancy. It's out September 28th. Three Dot Recordings, their first official release. So make sure you guys check this out. Like we talked about, it's electronic, it's ambient. It's a great journey. I've, I've had the chance to listen to it quite a few times, and I, I highly recommend it to everybody. So make sure you guys get out of your comfort zone for some of you and check this record out. So uh, real quick, as we were talking about the Grammy nomination, you had that, that joy and that feeling. Now, when you guys are just kind of dormant and writing and doing all that stuff, and then you see yourself just pop up on all the metal websites over a story like somebody puts you in a trial for like a, an, an axe attack, how does that feeling feel? You know, it's 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 certainly unusual. I would, you know, you know, I remember being a kid and hearing, you know, about the the Ozzy Osbourne thing, and and uh, there were a couple other bands that you know had that same sort of uh, bizarre, almost macabre element to their music that kind of gets brought into some sort of uh, criminal trial or whatever it is, and and you know, it it, it was very unusual, but. It, it is, it's a bit aggravating because it's like, look, this person did not listen to this song and then decide to go and, and it did not, I don't think it, it added to anything that made this person take an ax and hit somebody over the head with it. It, it. I just think that they're, that that's a very weak argument in order for them. It, it, they're basically like looking for things to kind of blame it on. And I just think that's just somebody doing their job poorly so like whatever I think it was the prosecution yeah. like they they're just not good at their job so they look for these these things I mean I guess that's just that's an assumption they're they're probably good at their job but you know it, that, it, I just think that's such a silly thing to to bring up like oh you know here's a song that I think has dark themes because there's some guy screaming over it but really the song is about not bullying people and uh, you know treating people nice so i you know there is no there's there are no dark themes in that song other than positive ones that you know have to deal or that have to deal with you know people taking care of other people and you know kind of fighting through the negativity so you know it's just to me that was just somebody doing their job poorly and uh you know i hope that eventually that those kinds of arguments don't find their find their way into court proceedings because it's just like it's not helpful and it just you know there are people who are like galvanized against certain types of music because because of stuff like this and and it's just kind of a it, it's counterproductive and it's not representative of of the type of stuff that we uh that we support so i, I don't know it's just it, it it's a, it's a weird feeling I wish they wouldn't have done that, but you know, at least uh, now you got that. Now, now the band's got that weird, um, that weird uh, check mark in their career where they were a part of some yeah. bizarre, you know, public scrutiny thing. So, 
I mean, there's that. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things. I, I, I personally, when I read it, I was like, I imagine those guys are so frustrated that this nonsense is uh, everywhere right now. That's what I was thinking. But then you, you worded it perfectly. It's like, yeah, somebody was just doing their job poorly. Because I agree. It was the song was Flatlined, right? Which one were they talking about? Yeah. yeah. Flatlined, yeah. yeah. Which dude, obviously is like, on. you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, when somebody flatlines, that's generally when they die. But that's not that's not what the... It's just, you know, you always, music is very interpretive and, and this person just basically took that away from the music. So I think that's what I'm most frustrated about is that they like, they, you know, they, they took the, the wrong message from it because they were not intelligent enough to see what the song was actually about, or even look up what it's about when there's live videos of our singers saying about saying what it's about. And, uh, there's probably blogs talking about the songs and comments on the YouTube video saying like how the song has helped them and blah, blah, blah. So it's just kind of like, you just, you just, you're just not, you weren't good at being a lawyer right then and there, bud. That's like what I wanted to <laughs> Nice. <laughs> so cool, Jake, man. So just last question, just want to see if there's a, uh, you were talking about periphery music and new music coming out. Is there any uh, definitive updates or timeframes or anything like that on uh, any new records coming up? No, but we are uh, we are writing our butts off right now. We have uh, we have most of the record written. Um, where we have one more writing session coming up, and then we have to figure out when we're going to record it and uh, and release it. But it's uh, it's coming along, and it's uh, it's it's a really fun record because the last one was not stressful at all, and this one is even less stressful than the last one. So it's just kind of this uh, real good feeling to that we, you know. It, putting it together has just been been a breeze so far and I'm excited to get it out and not to give too much away it's just uh it's a bit different and uh it, I think I think it'll have all the elements that that people come to expect from from periphery music but um it's uh you know I think we're going to we're finding new places that we can go with you know whatever our sound is growth don't scare me Jake I like it I'll Good. take it. So, <laughs> excellent, man. So, uh, dude, Jake, I want to thank you so much, man. Uh, once again, I just want to plug it one more time, guys. Four seconds ago, uh, the vacancy is coming out September 28th. I know this interview is a couple months early on that, but guys, make sure you keep it in mind. We'll keep promoting it on Metal Sucks, I have no doubt. And then keep keep your eye open on everything that's going on with Three Dot Recordings. And uh, hopefully when the new Periphery record is uh, got a date and all that stuff going on, we'll chat up again, man, and, and talk a little bit about that. So, uh, uh, Jake, man, thank you so much, dude, for calling into the Metal Sucks podcast. I really appreciate it, Peter. Thank you.
the Metal Sucks Podcast.
Doesn't matter if it's punk, metal, or rock. Rockabilia is your one-stop shop for all band merch. They have over 500,000 items to choose from. Hard to find stuff that you can't get anywhere else with the largest selection of music merchandise available in the world. Doesn't matter if it's hats, shirts, autograph items, patches for your battle vest. Rockabilia will have you covered. And everything is officially licensed. Don't fall for the Chinese counterfeit band merch on Amazon or the targeted Facebook post promoting a bootleg product. If you support Rockabilia, you're supporting the artists. Been around since 1987 with 30 years of giving you the best memorabilia. And for special discounts, use the promo code PCJabberJaw. So for your punk, metal, and rock memorabilia, there's only one place to go, www.rockabilia.com. And we are back, guys. First song you heard, I know it's an electronic song, but check it out. It's really cool. It's from the new record four seconds ago. The Vacancy, that song is called Fade Away. Second song is off the is their new song by Mantar, Age of the Absurd. Mantar's new record, The Modern Art of Setting Ablaze, is out August 24th, guys. It is a beast. It's excellent. Make sure you guys check that out. And with that, guys, we just want to talk one last thing before we go. We're all huge fans of Metalocalypse, and uh, director John Schneep passed away at 51. He had complications from a massive stroke. Just huge fans of that series, you know, all the way through and his work. And I just like, I've seen his name a million times in the credits, you know? So it's just one of those things when you put a picture to a name. Um, but yeah, just, uh, we out here at the metal sucks, uh, podcast here. We really appreciate everything. And that was, uh, metalocalypse was one of the first things that my wife and I, when we've just met, yeah. I was like, when well, you like metalocalypse too? And it yeah. was just, and that was, uh, it was just one of those things that we just kind of ran with. And then when and then when she just started staying over all the time, she brought the DVDs, and I, when we just burned through all of them. I know? love that show. Yeah, I a, love it. It's, a, it's, it's really, I'm very much feeling for him and his family right now. So thank you so much, John, for everything. And uh, until next week, guys. The Metal Sucks Podcast is signing off. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. <laughs>